0: Back in the old coffee shop again, World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. And it's not very old, but you know what I mean. I mean, this is Tom D'Antoni with the 80th OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. This time I'm in the cupping room with Portland Cello Project's Gideon Freudman, as you might expect, a cellist and composer. It's their 10th anniversary, and to celebrate, they've got an amazing concert at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall on Friday, November 25. What were they then? What are they now? And what other projects is Gideon working on? Fascinating look back, look forward on a lot of the things you've always wondered about the Portland Cello Project. Let's meet Gideon Freudman, shall we? Welcome to the cupping room. Thank you. Glad you could
1: could make it. Did I make it? I said I'm glad you could make it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm going to take that as an affirmation that I did make it, and I'm glad I did too. Well, you're sitting here. You can see me. uh, My corporeal being is here. That's (laughs) evidence of something. Yeah. (laughs) My car works. (laughs) Um, Geez, 10 years. Yeah, 10 years for the Portland Cello Project. 10 years. It's amazing. that That group formed... Just shortly after I moved here. So it uh, it's, uh-huh. it marks an anniversary for that group and for my arrival here and, wow. uh, and for my daughter, who was a baby when we got here, and wow. all kinds of stuff. Jeez, jeez. Um, okay, once upon a time, there was no Portland Cello Project, and then... And then there was. And then what yeah. happened? Uh, uh, we just magically formed. It was like a... Like <laughs> Like a uh, space dust. Oh, you're such a musician. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was space dust, not angel dust, which yes. is what people think of when they talk about PCP. Yeah. <laughs> such, a, such a naughty name for such oh, a nice geez. group. <laughs> um, That's an old joke, right? Uh, no, I, I never thought of it before. <laughs> <laughs> never the space dust part. Um, so uh, around the time I moved here, a few other cellists had moved here, and there were some others who had been around. and one of the recent transplants was a guy named Tony Rogers. And I know I was on his radar because he was living in new England, uh, for some time. And I had been playing around there for, uh, for much of my adult life before I came here. And, uh, so he caught wind of the fact that I was out in Portland and he was aware of some other folks. So he, uh, he got in touch with me and some others and said, let's just get together. And, uh, and play informally, read a few, you know, read through some music and uh, just hang out, talk, maybe improvise, see where it goes. So we did that, and it was a nice bunch of folks, and uh, we had a good time doing that. And we got together a few more times and bit by bit began to put together a set and uh, and did a, a show at the Doug Fur one night, and that went really well. Now and how did you sell that to Doug Fur? I don't know. (laughs) I didn't sell it personally. I I showed up at rehearsals. I I presented some music I'd written. I started writing some new stuff, and I was. uh, I'd been uh, recording my own, you know, multi-track cello pieces Mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. But uh, and I had started to write a few ensembles, but mostly, uh, I I played four, five, six cello parts by by. Layering them on tape yeah. by multi-tracking, yeah. so uh, so now having a chance to do this with uh, to hear this live with other players was uh, really fun, and um, and then we started you know all this music was in the mix, and um, after a while Tony moved on, uh-huh. and uh, then Doug Jenkins stepped up into the the helm, and uh, he's uh, he's a very very smart capable guy who's uh, got an impressive skill set he's a good cellist and arranger and producer and he knows he's good at recording although we do a lot of recording in studios but he's uh, he knows how to how to make friends with other musicians Mm -hmm. and uh and he's just got a a, his finger on the pulse and he and knows uh has a good a, a good understanding for all aspects of the business so uh he has been uh you know, it's just been really been running with it, and the group has just been pushing forward ever since.
0: Wow. Okay, before we get any further into the weeds on, on um, the, the original ideas for this, let's talk about the gig. All
1: right. <laughs> That's November 25th, right? That's right. What day of the week is that? It's a Saturday, Saturday I think. Okay. Yeah, I should have brought my notes here. That's I all right. <laughs> to, to check uh, and and that's at the Schnitz. Yes, it's at the Schnitz. That's great. It's a big room. Yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the first time you've you've played there. No, we've no. we've played there before. Yeah, we don't have a weekly spot there yet, but <laughs> maybe someday, someday, in, right. in some other parallel universe. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? We are going to do a whole wide variety of stuff, which is, uh, what, which is what the Portland Shella Project always does. Yeah, and um, I can't tell you everything because number one, it would ruin the surprise, and number two, <laughs> I don't know everything we're going to do. Is that right? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? It's always uh, there's always surprises uh, to to most everybody involved. Uh, but we are uh, what what I. Can tell you is that we're going to have a couple of really special guests. Farnell Newton, the uh-huh. uh, trumpet player, is going to be joining us and yep. he's amazing. Um, and uh, we are having uh, Nancy Ives, who's the principal cellist for the uh, Oregon Symphony, uh-huh. is going to be joining us. And I believe she's premiering a new piece that she composed. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, we've got, uh, well, one of the, th- uh, we've got a couple of. Uh, kind of subgroups of the Portland Shallow project. There's been a lot of, uh, things are always changing and evolving with this group and one of the things that we have begun to do in the last year or so is have a few players who uh, like to take the lead some more and have some special interest in particular kinds of music kind of have uh, helped to lead their own smaller groups within the group. So Diane Chapin, uh, Chaplin rather is uh, playing a a handful of songs with her group, and she's comes from a really intense classical background, mm-hmm. and she's put together this show called Virtuosi. So it's a uh, it's very flashy, impressive virtuosic classical uh-huh. cello uh-huh. ensembles that she's arranged with her group, and I've got a group uh, that is playing uh, uh, some tunes that I've written and arranged, and uh, that that subgroup is called Innovation. And uh-huh. so uh, I'm trying to you know, push out in some new directions and really stylistically take cellos in, in new directions. Can so you
0: give us get, get some idea of what, what those directions might be. That, that 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 you can talk I mean, it's hard to to, to describe anything. You yeah, know, what's that,
1: that expression? Talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Something like that. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, um you know, gosh, I've been doing this for playing different kinds of music for so many years, yeah. and then I start getting uh, tongue-tied when I try and talk about <laughs> what it is I do exactly. I just uh-huh. feel like if, if you listen for a few minutes, you have a better idea. All right. But some of the stuff is uh, you know, is, is almost like lilting folk melodies uh-huh. and uh, and pretty waltzes, and some of it is very bluesy, and some uh-huh. gets pretty rocked out. There's one tune we're going to do that has kind of a flamenco section uh-huh. in the middle, and, uh, and there's... Um, you know, some some stuff is is pretty and mournful. The way that you know, what the cello is uh, typically typecast yeah. for being, but uh, but there's things that are really joyful and playful. And then uh, and then I've always also had a real passion for for those odd, funny, unusual sounds you can make on the cello. Uh-huh. It's an amazing sound machine. So I I like to uh, really explore that and get a whole group of cellists uh-huh. doing, joining me in this crazy fun. Do
0: you have one main instrument that you use?
1: I have two main instruments that I use uh-huh. uh, in in this group, and most often when I collaborate with other people, I have uh, my my very favorite, best hundred year old French cello, uh-huh. and uh, it's a it's a nice acoustic cello. It's not you know like a million dollar Stradivarius, uh-huh. but it it appeals to me. It's got a nice uh-huh. tone. It really sings, and it's a. Uh, uh-huh. uh, and uh and then the other main instrument that i use is my electric cello which is uh what i play most often when i'm playing solo gigs that was uh built by a guy in vermont named tucker barrett uh
0: uh-huh. uh-huh. I was i, I a long time ago before she when she was still living here i interviewed zoe keating
1: oh sure and she uh, was there at the first uh that first uh, oh, meeting of the portland cello project wow. she was one of the cellists who had landed in portland for for just a little while yeah
0: yeah uh, and she told me this story about she had uh she was she had still she still was playing her original cello okay mm-hmm. and but she knew she had to get a new cello and she said that the search for a new cello was like looking for a new boyfriend
2: mm-hmm.
1: does is that, that ring true to you well she might have a different relationship with her cello than yeah. I do, <laughs> um, but it is it is a very personal thing. I mean, for yeah. for a musician, the instrument you play is uh, it's it's an extension of you. It's yeah. like another appendage, and it's your voice. So it has to feel comfortable in your hands. It has to make a sound that you find pleasing when you play. And when I I've helped students over the years look for instruments, and I always tell them not to discount How the instrument looks. It seems. Uh, it seems almost secondary, or, or just somehow less important. But every time you take it out of the case, you want to be happy to see it, like you would be happy to see your boyfriend or girlfriend, and say, uh-huh. "Hey, uh-huh. we look good together." Yeah. You know. As and you can't say, "Well, it sounds really good and it feels really good." Just uh, you know, try to avert your eyes. So, <laughs> all, I, all of those things come into play. And yeah, she uh, said
0: it was. She said when, when she she would like travel to Europe to try out new instruments right mm-hmm. and she said it was like dating
1: yeah <laughs> well it is and what's what's uh what's hard is that when when you decide on an instrument you have to plunk down the money and well, uh, yeah and and cellos good cellos aren't cheap so yeah. uh, and it's hard to know how much you're really going to love it um at the time you get it you can you can play it for a while in the shop or if uh if you have somebody who's who's willing to let you do it. You can take it for a couple of weeks and try it out. But sort of like if you if you you date for two weeks and decide, are we going to get married or not? And uh, and it's uh, so it's it's a big decision.
0: Yeah. Why? Um, so getting back to the formation, um, did you see did you see the ensemble coming out of
1: the legacy of say Kronos? No. Okay. I never felt like it was going to be like that. Okay. Kronos is, they're very impressive. Yeah. And they really have explored some new territory and a lot of new territory, and they've been very influential. But they're also, in a way, they're very traditional in in their quartet setup. And yes, they've had a bass player at various times, a percussionist, things like that. But they are a string quartet. Yeah. um, And uh, just... Like Turtle Island is a string quartet, uh-huh. and even though they go stylistically in a different direction, they've really got that particular sound with uh, with their personnel. And the there's no precedent like that for a cello ensemble. There is pieces by Viola Lobos and other composers yeah. who've really written some remarkable ensemble compositions for cellos, but there's there's no cello equivalent of the string quartet that's just tried and true with this rich repertoire uh and it doesn't really have the same kind of built-in audience so i knew that we didn't have that we also had a, a group of people who were all coming from a very different background i mean i'm not an expert on the chronos but uh but i've believe that they all have a pretty intense classical background, and they're using that as a starting point. And while most cello players start as classical players, we had, you know, in our first meeting, we had people doing Well, uh, Zoe and I were doing, you know, looping and some electric stuff, and we had a couple of songwriters in the group, and we had some people who were already doing some writing and arranging, and some who were more from a strict classical background, so we already had a lot of different influences, and I also, even back then had this sense that it wasn't going to just be the group of people who were there that day at the first thing. And and sure enough, it has changed and evolved. The personnel has yeah. has shifted. There's some core members who've been there all along, but there have been a number of players who've come and gone. Uh-huh. So that's the difference.
0: So how, how many are in the core right now, approximately?
1: Well, <laughs> uh, the core is usually around eight. Really? Uh, but wow. But the core also has changed there's a there's a few core members now that weren't there at the very beginning mm-hmm. but they have uh, they're they're very central and integral to the group but there's uh, maybe four or five of us who were there mm-hmm. from uh, from the beginning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who who makes the decisions <laughs> I'm the decider <laughs> uh, no uh, Doug Doug Jenkins yeah yeah he's uh, he's the he's the the main decision maker although, Physically? Well he has been, although uh as the group has been evolving and we've been forming these subgroups, Diane has one and I have one and Skip has one. Uh and then uh Kevin is, is putting together a show also that's gonna feature mm-hmm. his his take on it. Um we uh it's you know other new new leaders are making decisions yeah. about repertoire for uh-huh. our own group. I mean, I don't uh-huh. uh, I don't have to consult somebody to decide yeah. on which songs I'm going to play in which order which order. So uh-huh. for that show, uh-huh. I do that. But for for uh, shows like our big dance party uh, at the Doug Fur every summer uh-huh. and our winter concert, I mean, that's one that that uh, Doug Jenkins is really uh-huh. spearheading.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um. So you know, there was a uh, there there was a time, and it's probably around when you guys started, that like, cello was the cool instrument that everybody had to have in their band. I didn't know that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, there were so many bad cello players. Not, I mean, you know, you know, what I mean, there were just everybody seemed to have to have to have a cello. It's well, just because like they that. look so good. Right. Right. <laughs> um, So I guess if you didn't realize it at the time, you wouldn't know if it's gone away.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I was was aware of it. I mean, the the, the cello started getting more cachet over the years and uh, yeah. you know Nirvana used a cello right. and, uh, and, and right. all these you right. know some some high profile groups were doing it and suddenly that became the cool thing I mean right. in in the same way that wearing like the dorkiest clothes kind <laughs> of is cool it's like we're total like hipster shoegaze rockers right. let's get a cello player yeah. because we're that confident <laughs> um, I don't know it's sort of like like Letting you know, like having like your shirt tail stick out of your fly on purpose, <laughs> maybe not quite that bad, but no, the cello did become, well, it depends on, it
0: depends on the, on the talent of the cello player. It can um, be that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's
1: an unfortunate thing, yeah. but it, it also, I mean, the cello had been making, you know, cello and, and other strings were making their mark in, in yeah. popular music for some time before that. It was almost like a delayed reaction to the Beatles using well, string quartet in uh, yeah what was it in uh, Eleanor Rigby or that right. cello when she's leaving home and then uh-huh. the, the weirder use of strings in um uh god I need to finish this coffee and then I'll be able to do it <laughs> well strawberry fields and yeah. I'm the walrus and yeah. tunes like that whereas yeah. here's strings but this is really something different again uh-huh. and um and that you know that that's influenced a lot of people over the years it certainly has influenced me and yeah. uh, um so I think that there was there was kind of a, a delayed reaction, you know, and sometimes things are, are new and then they go then, you know, they're instantly old fashioned and then it's cool again. Right. It's sort of like, you know, the thickness of the tie keeps changing. That it always happens. Like, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I expect I don't know if I live another five years, I'll be I'll be I'll be cool again. Then. That's right. Well, this <laughs> is the reason why you don't ever
1: want to throw away
0: clothes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did the did the sound of the cello strike you when you were young Is
2: it,
1: uh, yes absolutely uh-huh. the the everything about it yeah um my dad was a, a just passionate about music he, mm-hmm. he played music you know he played the piano and the flute um uh-huh. but he also was always playing records at home uh and you know he particularly liked classical music but mm-hmm. he he also enjoyed jazz and uh uh, and then we—I uh, grew up uh, on a college campus in New England, and oh. we were just a short walk from a recital hall. Wow. And it seemed like almost every night of the week there was something going on there—a student recital, a faculty recital, a guest artist, something. So I would frequently go to shows with him, and by frequently I mean two, three times a week. Jeez. We'd we'd wander over. When I was a very little kid, I was his I was his his go-to. Kid for uh, mm-hmm. for going to concerts. I guess my older siblings had homework or yeah. something else yeah. more more important to do. But mm-hmm. I just loved it. So I'd go to mm-hmm. all these concerts, and whenever there was a cello, I just perked up, and I would just kind of be at the edge mm-hmm. of my seat, and wow. I couldn't take my eyes off the cello player. And there was a really incredible uh, cellist and professor at at the school in Connecticut. And what school was it? It was the University of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bruno DiCecco was the guy, and he Mm -hmm. was just fantastic. You just saw him in your mind's eye, didn't you? Pardon me? You just saw him in your mind's eye. I did, and I saw him while I was on tour a couple of years ago for the first time in decades. Wow. And that was really a treat. Jeez. I'm taller than him now, but I mean, <laughs> he still looms large in my memory. Yeah, uh, But he was, uh, I mean, he played beautifully and he played just with such feeling and expression. It was fun to watch him play. He made playing the cello look like a fun thing to do. Huh. And the instrument itself looked impressive. You know, it's just, there's, there's instruments that I love, but they don't necessarily look that exciting just visually and then and then that looked fun to me and the sound really appealed to me and uh, and I just felt like I had to do it and when I when I finally got my own cello I I uh, tried to emulate that but I also immediately was drawn to experimenting really yeah well kids are more yeah. naturally creative they don't right. always right. you know color inside the lines or make the sky blue and the grass green <laughs> so your dad got you a cello yeah at a him for about six months yeah 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 because he uh he'd become skeptical of my my passing whims oh <laughs> he said you know last week he wanted to be a fireman <laughs> and he just refused to buy me a fire truck so so you, you brought it home and what happened well i started I started playing right away I didn't know what I was doing, but I was really excited to start playing and yeah. i uh I you know it's it's not something that most people sound great at when they begin. I mean no right. instrument is really easy, but if you if you just sit at a piano and you just put your finger down on a note uh-huh. one single note, it sounds good and if you hit uh-huh. two notes, they'll probably sound good. <laughs> it may not you know if you start try to play through a melody, your rhythm uh-huh. may be off a little bit, but mm-hmm. the the tone is there, and playing a a bowed string instrument is kind of a different beast because yeah. just to get a good tone is uh Is challenging. So you draw the bow across the string, and unless you do it just so, you get. Uh, you get some unexpected sounds. And, which intrigued you. Which really intrigued me. Yeah, wh- where most people recoil in horror. Yeah. I thought, wow, now this is something. It was an unexpected surprise. It's sort of like, you know, you open a box expecting to find a, you know, a, a, a little whatever, a, a little Tonka truck. And then there's a puppy inside. It's like, Woo! All right. This is going to be good. So I, um, so I did, uh, I, uh, I. I Simultaneously Well I So what I started doing Is just Playing all these All these uh, Terrible squeaks And squawks And yeah. growls And yeah. And uh, And funny noises And uh, My parents agreed That getting me a teacher Was the first order First of thing business. yes So uh, Yes so they uh, they called up the impressive Mr. DiCecco and asked him if he could recommend somebody, one of his students. Uh-huh. And he said, "Oh, I'll teach your kid." So uh, oh. so he did, and he intimidated the hell out of me. But of uh, course, but but that was yeah. was part of the fun, I guess. Right. Uh, so I showed him some of the impressive sounds I had been discovering, <laughs> and he did not share my enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, so uh, so anyway, would I, he I, share I, that today? Uh, i don 't know i, I think he 's pretty traditional but uh but he's uh he, he did uh he did. if
0: if you if if you sat down and played him some of the stuff that they that, that you 're working on now would he go like he 's still doing the same thing yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'd rip his hair out i don't know i'm not sure what he'd think uh, i think maybe he still intimidates me but, uh, anyway he uh he he showed me you know how i was supposed to play and yeah. so I, I i spent some of my time practicing for lessons and doing what i was supposed to do and playing scales and arpeggios and trying to work on my vibrato and shifts and get a good tone and learn some repertoire mm-hmm. and then uh the rest of the time I spent uh, trying to figure out how to make chords and strum the cello and pluck bass lines and uh, wow. and see if I could sort of rein in those sounds. So those, those funny little squeaks, instead of being an accidental squeak, it was maybe I could find a spot in the middle of a melody where that sound was cool. The same way that you know a singer will just get a little growl or shriek or something in their voice in a, in a point in a song, not necessarily throughout, but...
0: Were you influenced by any any jazz bass players?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't listen to a ton of jazz. I doing uh, when I was uh, when I was growing up, but but some. And my my dad had you know some of the you know like Duke Ellington, Count yeah. Basie, that yeah. kind of stuff, uh-huh. and uh, and I heard that, and, ah. and uh, so you I, didn't hear Mingus, and I really loved it. No, no, it was a, he kind of kind of. the the record collection stopped before that. So that was later, later discoveries. But I, I did, uh, I did hear some of that and then some, some blues and, and some folk singers. And I I found all of this stuff informative, you know, for every kind of Uh music, there were certain players that I found just really thrilling. And um, uh, so there was something, something to learn from it. Not, not that I, learned most of it because yeah. most of it went over my head but but I liked the kind of casual quality that folk singers had and I liked the, the, the freedom of expression and exploration that the jazz players had and I loved the precision uh, and clarity of the classical players and all of these uh-huh. things I felt had something valuable and then you know rock had all this raw energy and yeah. and then, you know, yeah. the Beatles became a really big influence and they kind of fused all this stuff, you know, things uh-huh. like from Eleanor Rigby to Helter right. Skelter and right. it was all of that could could kind of fit together in, in one genre and that felt really amazing. Huh. Huh. Um,
0: um, what was I going to say? Uh, it'll, it'll come back to me. <laughs> oh, so uh, how were you... F- uh, when you made your first public performance?
1: How was I? Was how old were you? Oh, how old was I? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I heard Jason Alexander, who's uh, you know, yeah. the, uh, George yeah. from Seinfeld in an yeah. interview, talk about his bar mitzvah as his first gig. <laughs> it's like, I, I practiced, I learned my lines, I did my performance, I made a bunch of money, <laughs> I knew I was going to be in show business. <laughs> so... Uh, if we don't count my bar mitzvah, then uh, I remember. Well, I mean, it depends what you call public. I was. I started playing in third grade. I started taking lessons in third grade, and uh-huh. in public school, uh, kids began to play uh, in school in fifth grade. So there were a yeah. lot of yeah. beginner instrumentalists in fifth grade, and of course, by then, at the age of ten, I was a very seasoned player. Yeah, of can course. Can or so I imagine myself <laughs> to be. So I remember playing for kids, uh-huh. uh, you know, for my peers in, in my classroom. And I don't know if that really counts as a public performance, but it it turns out that playing for your peers is uh, is about the scariest thing you can do. And playing for, for a big room full of strangers with bright lights in your eyes is relatively easy because you just don't see them. You're just yeah. playing, you're in yeah. your world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I guess there were a few things along the way. I remember when I was... Uh, around well when I was in high school I had uh, started a band with a friend and uh-huh. and we played uh, we, we played at some talent show there and uh-huh. then later on that same friend and I uh, you know kind of the band sort of peeled away as as different people went off to college and things but we were still in the same area together and we uh, we uh, we're writing a lot of songs as a as a duo, a cello and guitar duo, and we we assembled uh, some friends for uh-huh. a, a little informal house concert, and then uh, bit by bit started to play out a little more, play little cafes and brunches and yeah. things like that. Yeah. It was it was exciting and kind of nerve wracking. Why is it nerve wracking? Well. You, you want to get it right. You know, yeah. when, you, when you're practicing, right. yeah. you can just, you play, you mess up, you try it again, you yeah. practice that part, you right. do the chorus, you know, for right. 10 minutes straight, and yeah. then you you finally get it and go, there, we know it. And then, uh, you know, and then you go on to the next song, and when you're performing, you just get one chance to yeah. play the songs in order, one after the other, ready, go. And if you mess <laughs> up, you have, to, you have to just deal with it. Um, tell me about the difference uh,
0: between... Um I mean, there are obvious differences between playing in an ensemble and playing solo. But what are the not obvious differences? I mean, you I know i know—you you don't have to listen to—you to, don't have to listen for what other people are playing. Uh, but how does that? I mean, how, how does that? what is playing solo—it's—it's—it's yeah,
1: a, it's, it's a world of difference, yeah. really, from yeah. my perspective. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what, what the not obvious ones are. I mean at this point they all seem very obvious to okay. me but, For instance. but uh so if I'm playing with an ensemble I have to uh I have to consider other people. Yes. That can be very trying. Yes.
0: Um <laughs> uh, considering yourself is can also be very trying. That's
1: that's already a full time yes. job. <laughs> <laughs> Almost more than I can handle. You have to you have to make sure that everybody knows everything they're supposed to know. Yeah. Where where to be and when and they're prepared and they, they know the music they're supposed to play. They're yeah. prepared or, or they're dressed appropriately. They bring <laughs> <laughs> appropriate equipment, whatever it is that you need for that particular. They're not thing. drunk. Yeah. You need to. Uh, I mean, when I when I play, so so one thing for me is I like to be spontaneous in my performances. And uh-huh. when I play a solo gig, I virtually never make a set list. I just play off the top of my head. Yeah. Sometimes I just have a big list of songs in front of me just sort of as a reminder, but oftentimes I don't. And even when I do, I, I rarely look at it. I just I start with an improvisation, and then I... Somewhere along the way I think about a nice tune that would be go to go into after that and I play mm-hmm. that and around the time that finishes I think of something else that's right and it's just there's just kind of a flow based on how mm-hmm. I'm feeling and what the what the room feels like and who's there um, but I can't be that loose with the group and at any point yeah. in my own shows it's like I'm gonna improvise now or I'm gonna extend this section in the song mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna just really go off in this direction for a while but I can't do that with the group everybody has learned the song the way it goes and it it also depends on the group I mean obviously if if the Grateful Dead weren't sticking strictly to the script you know there there was (laughs) there was some freedom there I'm pretty sure but um, but with the group like the Portland Cello Project where most of what we do is reading I have to make uh, I have to be very specific in in uh, in giving in assigning parts to people so that everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Um, Aren't there improvised sections? There are, there are some, and I've been yeah. including that more with with my group, and that's yeah. new territory for some players. Really, uh, and even there, we have to think about it a little bit more than you would in a different group. So, for example, if uh, if I get together with a band. You know, a, a more traditional kind of band where there's, mm-hmm. you know, guitar, bass, keyboards, drums, something like that. Right. If I just hand out charts, here are the chord changes. Yeah, Everybody's... Most people are going to know what to do with that. And the bass yeah. player is going to play a bass line. And the guitar right. player is going to play chords unless we've designated a section where they play a solo and yeah. and so on. But if you, if I hand out a chart like that to five cello players... Nobody knows exactly what. Who's going to be the bass? Are <laughs> yeah, we playing yeah. chords here? Or even if I just say play long, long notes to form cards. Which notes are they all going to land on the same note? <laughs> you know, if it yeah. says a D chord, yeah. who knows who to play a D? Who's playing an F sharp? Who's playing an A? Which octave? And we can be overlapping or people kind of moving around in a way that doesn't mesh so well. Uh, so, huh. so there are. Huh. Uh, there's a kind of a wonderful. Magical way that string instruments blend together when you're either very lucky or when it's very <laughs> re- rehearsed and deliberate. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you just leave it to chance, it can be kind of a mess. Um, uh-huh. So uh, uh-huh. it, it takes a little uh-huh. bit more care to get that to, wow. to really work out right. But
0: isn't that the, always the knock on classical musicians? Which there's, there's
1: <laughs> a long list
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that they're 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 tied to the page.
1: Uh, yes. It is, and there's there's various reasons for that. Yeah, I mean, people are yeah. trained different ways. Some people yeah. are trained to read. Other people have never learned to read music. Some people read charts. Some people play entirely by ear. You know, you you could put a chart in front of them, and they don't want to look at the chart. Just, they, yeah. just say, just start playing the song. I'm going to find what works. Um, so does that it, drive you crazy? Not at all. Okay. I think, I think for me, part of the fun is playing with different people who, yeah. who come at it a different way. Because every musician I play with has something different to offer, and I'm not trying to mold them to to be just so. I'm trying to uh-huh. find out what they do best and bring that out and showcase individuals' uh, strong suits. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't want every. I play with a lot of different people. I yeah. play with yeah. with cellists in this group. I I have worked with various guitarists over the years. I'm currently I have a duo with a a violinist and another one with an accordion player. And uh-huh. uh, I've got a gig coming up with a mandolin player and drummer. We've got uh-huh. a trio, and uh, it's just it's really fun to to do something different with each of those groups, not try and get everybody uh-huh. to uh-huh. sound like a cello ensemble, because that would be madness. <laughs> what's the trick about? What's the trick uh, uh, with playing with an accordionist? Uh, well, it depends on the accordionist. Well, yeah. yeah. You have to get them to not wear the lederhosen, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been working with Courtney Vandrelli, who is... Uh, of course. he's He's no... One of the most charming men on earth. He is. I mean, even if he, <laughs> even if he didn't play the accordion, you'd yes. still just want to yes. hang out with him yeah. and just yeah. watch him. Whatever. We had was, a great time in here. We always do. I mean, I I
0: I wrote the first uh, review of their first album. Okay, I, I did TV. I did a TV story on them in in two thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I go way back with those guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, the hardest thing about working with Courtney is. Uh, is getting to work because he's just such good company. When yes. we get together to rehearse, exactly. yeah. we make some tea and we start right. talking, and one <laughs> thing leads to another, and pretty soon <laughs> we've we've eaten up a bunch of rehearsal time. Uh, but but he is so great to work with because he's really got this this whole skill set that i was talking about he's very good at reading music he really knows what to do with a chart and he's really good at playing intuitively Uh if i just start playing music without any clues other than just the sound in the air Uh takes him about one second to find his way in and do something beautiful and he's a really great composer and he's, he's just a really sensitive intuitive player so uh I would say that the biggest trick about playing with Courtney is trying to incorporate all of the wonderful things he does instead of just finding those couple of things that he does best because uh-huh. he does so many things well, you know. And I'm used to with a lot of uh, people that I play with, I've got the the low instrument. I don't play with bass players that often, so yeah. I find myself holding down bass parts and playing chords and things. And then if I want to play a melody to sort of find a way to make that work if i'm playing with a mandolin player it's like the bass disappears but courtney can just take over the bass parts and he can just (laughs) fill out And we can play you know and because of the accordion sustains notes the the bellows can really imitate the the string very well the bow Uh the bow Uh so we can Uh really blend in a nice way and he's got a, a really good percussive style i mean i could go on and on about Courtney he's, yeah. he's great to work is there, with is there, are you playing for a gig uh, we've done a handful of gigs yeah. together we just did one uh, he and I played together with uh, Mark Orton who's another oh. Oh, right. really amazing musician and composer um, so that was what is his band well he, uh, he he's doing mostly soundtrack work these days but his, I, he's known for being in Tin Hat Tin Hat right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and that's uh, just the most incredible catalog yeah. he's a brilliant writer yeah. Uh, so, with the three of us, we're all writing and all improvisers yeah. and yeah. all, you know, yeah. presenting charts and yeah. and also leaving room for improvisation and freedom within these these frameworks. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, I mean, I, I, it was a shame I missed
0: that gig because I'm I'm working every Friday and Saturday nights. You know,
1: <laughs> that's a damn nuisance. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so uh we don't have another uh Courtney and I don't have another gig scheduled right now, but we are we have begun work on a recording together. So really? we're gonna do that and then we'll be just the two of you? Just the two of us. Well wow. we may we may yet get some guests on it, but we're yeah. we're just at the early yeah. stages of that. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. Um
0: Well they had a cello player in their original band.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was I met him. It was it was just kind of by coincidence when my uh, Gabe, Gabe, yeah, yeah, real another really great guy. When uh, yeah. uh, Gabe's son is the same age as my daughter, and uh-huh. I, our kids were in the same preschool class together, huh. so uh, so we just happened to you know meet dropping our kids off at. Why preschool. did you move to Portland? Uh, I'd been thinking about coming to the West Coast for a long time, uh-huh. and I had in mind that I might go to San Francisco, and then uh, I really gave it a serious thought I decided it was just too big a city yeah for me and then uh, then I thought Seattle and that was also too big and yeah. Portland seemed just right yeah yeah yeah. but it's getting bigger now it's getting it's I'm, almost, I'm almost ready to run for the hills it's changing <laughs> although with with the coming crash uh, things may change here <laughs> I know well this influx of cellists has really pushed the population kind of out of control <laughs> I'm afraid <laughs> Too many cellists. Yeah, if they just get the cellists out of here, that's be, right. There, there, goes our hi- our housing crunch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, what's uh, coming up for uh, first of all, recording the, uh, the, the the cello project.
1: So, the cello project is uh, is doing our big show at the Schnitz yes. on the twenty fifth. Yes, and. Uh, uh, it's something like a two or 3,000 seat room. I believe yeah. there are a few seats left. Yeah. Um, maybe even good seats. All the information will be on this page. Yep. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, uh, 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 I just came back from doing a show in Eastern Oregon uh-huh. with the Cello Project, doing my innovation show. And I've got... Another one coming up in Hawaii at the beginning of February, uh-huh. so that's exciting. Uh-huh. Um, this will be with with the cellists doing my stuff, uh-huh. uh, and then uh, we're going to Alaska in March, and that one is a little bit different. So I've just I'm just now finishing up a new album with Annalisa Tornfeld, uh-huh. who is also just an incredible musician and writer and singer. She plays violin and guitar and other instruments and. Um, so we've been recording and there's there's two albums coming out there's uh, there's we're making uh, so well, let me back up a little bit okay uh, Doug Jenkins approached us about working together for uh, for an EP to make a five or six song cello project EP but we would write the music for it and then go to Alaska on a tour in March so we thought sounds great and uh-huh. She and I got together in our first rehearsal. We had three songs done. And wow. we got together a second time and had about three more songs done and, <laughs> and just more ideas coming all the time. Yeah, And when we uh, <clears throat> we just did a, you know, I just set up a couple mics just to do just kind of a quick little uh, recording, nothing nothing too careful, but just to capture what we're doing and then overdubbed a few things. And it sounded so good that I thought we could really run with it. So she and I decided to make uh, a full-length album together. So that's what we've been working on. And we're just about done with that. And then from that, we're taking a subset of those tunes uh, to record with the cello project. So five or six songs uh, where we're just going to be playing our core bit, and then other cellists will come in to play the other parts. I've, I've been writing cello arrangements for it, and it's kind of oh. funny because it's uh, instead of writing out parts and then playing it, I'm recording parts and doing things by ear, which is how I prefer to work. Yeah. Then I listen back to the recording and I kind of break it down and uh, and simplify, and it's the the parts that sound like cello parts yeah. like the like the parts that sound like something Mr. DiCecco would approve of I can I can write out for other cellos to read and then those still other, trying to please Mr. DiCecco yeah. aren't you <laughs> just trying to remember what he taught me um, and the uh, the other uh uh, you know, and then there's all these other sounds and tonalities that that we've explored together. That's, uh-huh. so that's so. These two albums are going to have an overlap of songs, but they're going to have a distinctly different feel, uh-huh. which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's really exciting for me to both of these things. So we're finishing up work on our solo album. The the cello project EP is. Uh, is in the works already. We've been making progress with that and that will be everything should be done in time for our tour in Alaska in March. March, and we'll, okay. In, yeah. In, so that's uh, when we'll see them. In early March. Yeah, I mean I hope I hope the albums are out before that. I'm not yeah. I'm always reluctant to to put a, a release date out ahead right. of time because I, I want to get it just right and right. it doesn't matter to me yeah. if it comes out a month later. The cello project one has to be done before that. So that yeah. Um, yeah. whether uh, it's available before that or not, I don't know. But I believe there's going to be a show in March, uh Portland cello project show with me and Annalisa, you know, doing doing the, these new tunes. Uh-huh. Um, so... Did I say May or did I say March? In May, okay, whatever I said, I meant yeah. May. So, okay. uh, so we'll be doing, um, we'll be doing that um, around uh-huh. that time. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you have
0: told you told me before we started. I hate doing that, but I always it always gets on my nerves, and I just got on my own nerves. Okay, um, that you are going to send me a piece of music that we can put at the end of this. Yeah. Do you know what you're going to send? Or shall we be surprised?
1: It'll be a surprise, but uh, it's going to be one of a handful of tunes that I recorded for a documentary film that I recently uh-huh. scored. There's a, a, a movie, a documentary has been made about uh, an American expressionist artist named uh-huh. Agnes Martin. Uh-huh. And uh, so I uh, I have been working on music for that, and everything is... Uh, Signed, sealed, delivered, and it's official. I, the The movie has not actually yeah. come out yet, okay. but um, but I uh, I do have permission to share the music, so I will be uh, I'll be sending you one, or I'll send you a couple of tracks from that, and then yeah. you can decide what you want to which which no, you have to, decide. You want to use. You have to decide. I have to decide. You have to decide. That's right. I'm the decider. That's right.
0: <laughs> you know, there's, there's a. a, a I, I don't know how much of a controversy it is anymore um, because I have not been active for a few years in, in making um, TV or documentaries. But um, as to what is best, working with the, the, the composer as the documentary is being made so that you can cut to the music or presenting the, the composer with a finished documentary that he has to
1: score? Well, this one was unusual in, uh, in various ways, yeah. but generally speaking, um, having the whole film with some specific cues mm-hmm. indicated by the, the filmmaker is the way to go. And I'm just starting a new project with somebody uh, in LA who's making a film, and this is—it's not a documentary; it's a—it's a feature film. Yeah. Um, and uh, for that, I've been sent a, a rather elaborate cue sheet ah. for what to do and it's it's really specific you know ah. where exactly uh-huh. there's uh-huh. everything is time coded and I'm supposed to come in here and there's there's notes about what kind of music and what feel and I've uh-huh. I've shared a, num- a number of my pieces with the filmmaker and sort of using those as starting points for for things at least for moods if not specific pieces yeah. uh, so uh, documentaries are a little bit different and uh, you know, first of all, they don't usually get the same kind of attention, yeah. and uh, <coughs> I think people are... Composers generally don't get a whole lot of attention for documentary films they've done. Right. Um, and the music is always or almost always just ducked behind some conversation. I mean, right. in, a, right. in a feature film, that happens too. There's some action, there's something people are talking, and music is there, but, but the music uh, is a little bit more integral, I think, in a in a in a feature film, whereas a documentary, we're talking they're talking about this this person or this period in their life, and this music comes in. It kind of drifts in, and it's going on oh, there, and then they cut yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. And so I don't like that. So it's not it, it's it's precise, but it's a different kind of thing. Yeah,
0: Greg Bond and I made a documentary, the first actually the first documentary on assisted suicide in yeah. Oregon. Uh, we followed a guy for two years, and. Um, Shot for two years until and including his death. Okay, and Keith Schreiner did the music. You know him, auditory sculpture. Yeah, yeah. And um, we shot the first day, and he was he was playing at the Tiger Bar at that time. Back then, remember that? And um, I don't. don't Okay. Anyway, how far back does that go? Actually, uh, before you got here, I think
1: that would explain. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Anyway, so uh, and. I was so completely blown away by the guy, you know, who was letting us shoot this process of him dying, right? Um, and I, and I, and I, I walked in with Keith, and I told him about it, and he was in the middle of playing. He, he was, he, he, he would, it was okay, because he, he could do that, right? Yeah. And he just looked at me and said, I'm all, I'm all over it. And a couple days later, he came back with this piece. And it was perfect. And we used it for the theme, and then he elaborated on it a little bit, and we cut to it. Except, when, and, but when it came down to the final post production, um, we gave him a, we gave him the death scene, and he wrote to that.
1: Mm-hmm. But I, you know, it was you were know, supposed to give the death scene to the cello player, you know. <laughs> That's, that's really our domain. I'll remember that next time. Haven't you watched any movies? That's always, you hear the cello and you know somebody's <laughs> about to die.
0: You, you knew in this documentary somebody was about to die, believe yeah. me. Um, because that's what the whole thing was about. He right. <laughs> got out a cello the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's, that's an interesting process. You know, I, I really, um, prefer cutting to music I always have all of yeah. my all of my my whole tv career I have I have um I've shot the thing
1: and uh, then found found some music to cut it to I think that uh, a combination of the two yeah. is probably ideal I mean if you, you give a composer some cues and they create music for that mm-hmm. then that gets everything really close but ultimately The the director does have to cut to that and make make the the scene line up just right. So if there's a particular action or somebody just suddenly comes into view and there's there's some sound that matches that just right, you know, in that second. One of the
0: one of the dumbest bosses I ever had was at a TV station in Baltimore. Yeah, and he looked at a piece of mine and said, "Oh, all the action happens to the music." Did you do it that way? This guy was the boss, yeah. right? I said, Yeah, we, we did it that way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> now that you mention it, <laughs> it did come out that way. What a coincidence. Uh, oh, God. That's crazy. It was
0: crazy, yeah. It's a good thing to show how to 40 share. Um, but anyway, uh, so listen. This is great. Thank you for coming in. Well, thanks for I having really appreciate me. Appreciate it. Great to talk and to you, Tom. Uh, uh, have a great tenth anniversary. Congratulations! Happy birthday. Thank you. And uh, we'll it's be looking exciting. for all, for all of your uh, um, uh, stuff coming up soon.
1: It, yeah. can't, it can't come too soon for us. Believe no, me. So there's a lot going on. I've been yeah. working. Uh, yeah. well, all the stuff I've been talking about, and I've also yeah. been collaborating with this this group called Bandaloop in uh, uh-huh. in, in the Bay Area that does what they call vertical dance they dance on the sides of buildings and, wow. and cliffs and things like that and wow. they've got a new uh, a, a new piece they're putting together and um, i was actually uh doing some recording for that just this morning right before coming here so right. it's uh oh you'll be going back to that no i doubt. will be going back to okay. that i have a symbol <laughs> right. part yeah to uh to record
0: okay well we're going to listen to whatever it is you're going to send me this afternoon will do thanks for being here thank you tom okay. Thank you.